right, so how are we doing this morning? You guys ready? It's, it's been a while now, but, um, you know, I, I, I would typically uh, spend uh, just a kind of a, I have a sermon prep day in my typical week where I would uh, get together and kind of hunker down in my office on a, on a Wednesday and, and kind of write out the message that, you know, God would have for the weekend. And, and uh, for some of you that have, have gone through, uh, you know, experienced COVID already, man, there has just been a kind of a funk that has been hanging on this week. And it took me, this is a good, I would say a five-day prep message. So I, I hope, I hope it's, it's a good word, a timely word. Holy Spirit will do his thing this morning. Amen. So it's been a while now. But when I was traveling a lot for my district job, I had worked up some pretty good flight status. And I remember one weekend when I was out in California, uh, and I was out there for a weekend trip in the winter, and I was watching as flights were getting delayed left and right for storms in the Midwest as they you know, can tend to do in this type of year. And so I thought, I'm going to try to beat all of this, and I'm going to use my flight status for once to get an earlier flight out of California and to avoid all of this mess. And so the way flight status works, you could change your flight the day of. And I was like, you know, I've never really used this status before, but you know what? Say my name today, I'm gonna make it happen. Things about to change today. I'm gonna bump up to an earlier flight and I'm gonna get home to see my wife and my children. We're gonna make this happen. And so I was feeling pretty good about that. Um, I showed up at the airport with a little bit of swagger, you know, walking in like, my name is Sean Michael Shop, and I want an earlier flight. And she's like, well, you know, okay, yes, sir. And she put me on the earlier flight and I was going to get home and I was going to see the kids. And I got all amped about that. I was so excited about that. One of my peers had already been stuck in, in, a, in, a, in an airport. I believe it was in Dallas uh, for a day already. And, and I think but before the thing was all done, she was stuck there for three days total before the whole story played out. But, you know, I was here, I was, I was getting on this flight, I was going to see my children. So I, I try to find a seat um, in, the, in the gate area and rest until my flight leaves because I'd only slept like for maybe four hours the night before. And uh, so I was getting this kind of that delirious exhausted that you get when you don't have enough sleep. And so when the time came, I showed up at my gate and I get at, get at my plane and I sit down and, you know, my preferred partner, you know, kind of status seat. And I sat down and the stewardess says, there's been some technical difficulties with the plane. And you know that feeling when you hear the stewardess say something like that, you get that sinking feeling. We have to, we're going to have to wait a little bit and it might be around an hour or so. We don't really know. And so my hopes were starting to sink a little bit even at this time. And I was like, all right, well, maybe I could just maybe get back on that old flight. But you know how that works. You know, as soon as you, you get on another flight, you know, that, that other seat gets taken up pretty quickly most of the time. And so I'm not, I wasn't getting back on that flight. So I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, maybe this flight's still gonna take off, you know, at least at the same time as the other flight that I had. So no big deal. So I settled back down and I get into that uncomfortable airplane seat, you know, sitting on the tarmac. And it just seems that they're even more uncomfortable, you know, when you're sitting on the tarmac and you're stuck there for a while, no? And, and so the time comes when, when my other flight is supposed to be taking off and, and that time comes and the, and, and the flight attendant makes an announcement. I'm, you know, watching the clock. It's, it's, it seems like time is dragging on. And she says, 
hey, so it's gonna be uh, maybe another two and a half hours. <laughs> so we could go ahead and deboard the plane. And that, I don't know, for me, that is like the worst ever feeling when you've already been on the plane and they make you get off it and you have to go and sit back in the gate again. And so there I was, I, I just like, and you know, as, as I'm getting off the plane, in my mind, you know, she's saying stuff over the, the, the speaker, just to let you know all the other planes are oversold too. And every other plane that's not oversold, we let them all on fire and all the bridges are burned in the city. So you're trapped in LA for maybe forever. You know, that's what it felt like. And so, you know, go ahead and try to scrounge up some hope and meaning for this holiday season. Merry Christmas. And so I remember in that moment on this like four hours of sleep, I was more than a little exhausted and I was like, all right, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to go yell at her? Um, she can't do anything. Am I going to complain? That's, that's not going to do anything. And I'm so exhausted. But they, they put those bars between the seats, you know, so you can't really, you know, get any good sleep, you know, in, 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 the, in the gate area. So you just have to sit there and kind of just be exhausted. And I remember sitting there just like I'm trapped. I have no options. I, I, I just can't get out. And so I was like, I, I'm not going to take this out on anybody except, you know, maybe I can go have a conversation with God. I can do that. So I'm going to go walk around the airport and I'm going to have a conversation. And I was like, Lord, I believe you're sovereign over my life. So why is this so? <laughs> why am I in this situation? Let's have a conversation, God. And so, you know, I'm praying that prayer. I'm having that conversation. You ever felt that way? Not just at the airport, although I imagine maybe a lot of us have been in a situation like that too, but you're like, you know, God, why are you making it work out this way? Why is my life looking like this? And it's particularly frustrating when you have expectations that turn into frustrations. That's the worst. You know, I had a little bit of hope. I was going to be going home early. My plan was a good plan. Why are you messing it up, God? <laughs> right? <laughs> have you ever experienced that? You know, when you're like, God, what are you doing with my life? What are you doing with the direction of my life? Why is it working out this way? And I'm telling a story about an airport this morning, but some of us, we feel that really deeply in other places. Like, you know, bodies are supposed to be healthy. So why am I still sick? Right? Or, or some of us are, are like, man, I should be married by now. Why am I not? Or, hey, my career should be further along at this point. Why am I still stuck in this place? And we look at God and we say, God, why is it like this? And we don't want to accuse him, but we think to ourselves, maybe he's just inefficient, you know? Give me the wheel and I could get us there quicker. <laughs> you know, let me take the wheel. Why are you making this way? Why is this year just dragging on and on and on and on? And let me just tell you, I think about this every Christmas, by the way. Every time I read the nativity story, I think about the situation and I think about Joseph and I just imagine the desperation of a husband with a pregnant wife knocking door to door and nobody will let them in. How many doors until, you know, he just started to blow up on the inside? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, like what's going on? You sent an angel to Mary you send an angel to Zacharias. You send a whole host to the shepherds. Could you dispatch just one to the innkeeper to give us a place to sleep for the night? You know, can you see the desperation there? You know, she's with child. Can you let her get some sleep in one of these places? Please, God. At what point 
did Joseph, in desperation, he's just trying to provide for the family, just say, God, why don't you break through here? Give us a place to sleep. Or what about Mary? What about Mary, you know, who, how many bumps on that donkey ride before she was like, hey, so I can get supernaturally impregnated, but I can't get supernaturally expedited into Bethlehem? Come on, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, what's it take for a girl to get medallion status to get to Bethlehem, right? <laughs> like, at what point do you go, God, what are you doing? And why are you making it like this? Is there a logic to the timing? And is there a purpose to the plan? And in the middle of that, Mary and Joseph, we watch them ride into Jerusalem to go to the temple. And in that moment, they're offering the offering that you're supposed to when a kid's born. And they're so poor, so they, 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 they offer the poor offering, which is of two birds. And while they're in that moment, this old guy, he walks up and he scoops up that little baby. And he starts to praise God. And this is kind of a crazy moment, but let's use this as our opening text today. So if you would, if you can stand with me, um, if you can this morning to honor the reading of God's word this morning, this is what the text says. It's up on the screen. Let me read it for you this morning. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your timing and your purposes and your plan. God, I ask that you would break through and speak to us in this time in this place this morning. Here with us, in, in your name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. So this guy has some clarity in the middle of the chaos and his perspective, I want you to see this, brings him peace. Perspective brings peace. He says, I will depart in peace. Why? Because I've seen, I see what you're doing, God, and I see what you're doing among the nations. And when I get perspective, I have peace. And that's true of all of us. So you know this if you've ever tried driving into a big city with, uh, without GPS. I mean, um, you know, we're kind of used to in our culture, in our time, you know, just having our phones with us or having a GPS on in the car. But if you're driving to a big city, you, don't, you haven't been there before and you've ever been in that situation, you're like, you know, where am I? There's buildings, there's people, there's lots of commotion going around and it just feels like chaos, right? And you just feel like you're in the middle of it. So it can get overwhelming pretty quickly. And so what do you have to do? You have to get some perspective. You have to get a map. You have to get a, a phone. You have to get some kind of device and figure out this is where I'm at in the city. You got to zoom out, see how things relate. And then, then here's the road that I need to get on. Here's where I'm at. And here's where I'm going. And you figure that out, right? And so when you zoom out of your story and you get perspective, that can give you a piece in the middle of your story. So here's the thing. I'm not going to get into the specifics of your story. I don't know everybody's story this morning. But what I want to do this morning is give us perspective on God's priorities because it's his priorities that have shaped his story and yours and mine. And so if we can know his priorities, we can have peace. Do you see that this morning? If we can know his priorities, we can have peace. So if we can understand why he did it this way with Jesus's life, we can understand maybe why he's moving with some of the pieces in your life even today. 
And so basically what I want to talk about this morning is the why behind the when. Why did he do it this way? And not just the when of Mary and Joseph, but let's back it up. We have Genesis, you know, why have, why have Genesis be, be the place where everything goes wrong? You ever think about that? You know, why, why start the story out that way, that way and then wait 2,000 years before sending the one who's going to make it right? Right? Why make Abraham, way back in Genesis, have to journey all across the world to get to this moment? Why the exodus? Why all the difficulty? Why Roman occupation? Why have your people enslaved? Why the complexity of this story? Couldn't it have happened just an easier way? And, and I think if we understand God's plan, it'll give us peace in the middle of our story because it can seem pretty chaotic sometimes. But to understand the why behind the when, we need to know the who and the where also. And to do that, we need to just back up about 4,000 years and get a head start on our life, right? So let's do that really quick. We're gonna do that this morning. So Adam and Eve, the, the, the book of Genesis, God creates humanity and it's beautiful. And then mankind kind of goes astray, right? We break from God and everything breaks down in Eden. And yet in the midst of tragedy of the brokenness of the world, you see the first family splinter and God gives them hope. And in Genesis 3.15, God issues what theologians called the proto-evangelum, the first gospel or the first enunciation of the good news. And this is what he said. He said, I will send the seed of a woman and he, the baby that's born under her, will crush the head of the serpent. A boy is coming from the woman who will crush the one who hurt you. Eve has a son and she names him Cain. And I think it's so interesting. Cain just means I got one. I got a boy. <laughs> but then she has another boy and she named him Vanity. And some scholars think it's because she was like, well, I got a boy. Nope, wasn't that one. Nope, not this one. He's not the rescuer. These kids are a mess, right? And they were, they were a mess. But you see, and we keep on going generations down. Noah is born and his dad calls him Noah, which means rest. And he says, well, perhaps my boy will give us rest from the curse of the ground. Maybe he's the son who will set things right again. And no, he was not. And yet it's fascinating. So as you look through Genesis, you see the creation of the world in Genesis 1 and 2. You see evil enter into our story in Genesis 3. You see the proliferation of it in chapters 4 and 5. And then you see judgment in Genesis 6 through 9 as God floods the world. And you see humanity repopulate, but they're still going astray. And so God scatters them. And all of that, creation, fall, sin, and the nations, it all happens in 12 chapters. And then from Genesis 12 to 15, the scope kind of narrows down to just one man. And God narrows the scope on Abraham. And he tells this man in Genesis 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was 75 years old, but he trusts God and he moves about 2091 BC, Abraham moves to Canaan. And so let's take a look at this map here. This is the region that we're talking about. 
And um, Abraham is going to journey on this little strip of land that we see over to the left in the circle there. And he's coming from the area over to the right. He's going on this little curve. Um, He's going to go up and around that. And that's because if you try to go straight through the brownish part uh, in the middle, that's a desert. And people die out there, right? You can't go straight, so you get on the curve that we call the Fertile Crescent. You remember that from social studies class, right? So, so he walks along the crescent and he lands in this land that God wants him to be in. Now, when he gets there at 100 years old, he finally has that child. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob, after a life-changing encounter with God, has his name changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons. Now, 10 of those boys didn't like one of their brothers, which happens. So they sell him into slavery in Egypt. And then what happens? Joseph trusts God, even in the midst of prison. And as he trusts God, God provides for Joseph. Meanwhile, there's famine in the land. And so these boys have to journey southward to try to survive in the womb of Egypt. Right around the time that young Joseph, who's trusted God, rises from the prison to second in command over all of Egypt. And there, with that power, he forgives his brothers because he says, God guides my steps, not you. And he provides for his family. So these 12 sons become 12 families. Those families become 12 tribes. And the 12 tribes of Israel, the Israelites, and and there they they grow into a a mighty nation, which the nation of Egypt looks at them and says, what do we do with these guys? Let's enslave them and let's use them for as forced labor. And so God raises up another hero, Moses, and Moses trusts God, obeys him, and Moses leads the people mightily out of Egypt, through the desert, into this piece of property. And he leads them into, all through the book of Exodus, what's called the promised land, right? And so he leads them up to the edge of that land. And then about 1300 BC, Joshua, his protege, leads them into the land. There's difficulty under the leadership of the judges. So from about 1050 BC to 930, you see the United Kingdom arise. So King Saul becomes the king in this period. Then the great King David becomes the king of Israel in the region, and then his son Solomon takes over, and it kind of reaches the height of its story there. And Solomon, the kingdom splits into the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom persistently rebels against God. The prophets warn them over and over again to repent, and they do not. And so then in 721 BC, the Assyrians wipe out the northern kingdom, and they're gone. You following along so far? The the southern kingdom of Judah, persistent disobedience there, and yet God continues to work on them as he's speaking to them through the prophets. They continue to disobey. So in 586 BC, Babylon comes all the way across where Abraham did. He conquers them and then he takes them back. and, and, And you see God says, I will take you back to square one. And they go back to Babylon. And that's where you get books like Daniel and Esther, the people of God surviving in a pagan land. And then 539 BC, Cyrus of Persia destroys Babylon. And when he takes over, he looks at the Israelites like people and he says, you can go home. 
and they leave and they go home and we have the books in our Bible like uh, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah of the people making Abraham's journey again, settling into that land. They're building walls, they're building the temple, they're building the city and the Old Testament and the curtain kind of closed with the people of God back on this property that through the entire Old Testament, God seems to be very concerned with. Then our history books, we start falling and picking up the story around 300 BC and there's a guy named Philip who leads the kingdom of Macedonia way over to the west. Philip's got a little boy named Alex. He gets his boy, a tutor named Aristotle, who teaches him military arts and philosophy. And when Philip dies, young Alex takes over the kingdom at age 20. And then over the next 12 years, Alex, who we know as Alexander the Great, conquers the entire known World, And then he promptly dies at age 32, but not before he accomplishes one important thing. He brings Greek culture to the entire known world, something that we call Hellenization, right? Do you remember that? Hellenization, but it's, it's something critical that happens under him that hadn't really happened in human history before. Suddenly all of these nations and all these people are all taught one language, Greek. That throughout all of these tribes and nations, suddenly there's this ability to communicate. And Alex dies and doesn't have a leader that can kind of take over the whole thing from him. So his kingdom kind of splits into different um, generals, none of which are as adept at, at leadership as him. And so it doesn't really matter because now the new power is rising in the West again. And in 63 BC, Rome begins to conquer the entire known world, including what we consider the promised land. In 27 BC, the Caesar consolidates the power and he issues in this time of peace. They bring relative stability to the land. No more wars among these cultures. And so there's this time of peace that happens in Rome. We call it the Pax Romana. You remember that? Pax Romana. You, 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 you didn't think that you were going to go back to social studies this morning, but that's what we're doing. The Pax Romana was a time of peace. And suddenly what happens, and I'll, I'll tell you what happens, is the world suddenly gets very, very, very small. That's what happens. That now, now, with all of us being kind of led by this common government, which was imperfect, but yet there it is, it gives us the freedom to travel. And suddenly you go, man, I can travel to these different parts of the world and I can engage in trade and I can bring my goods and we can have a business and we can make a profit. And this is, this is good for us. And, and they could do that specifically because Rome was famous for something. You remember what, there is, what Rome was famous for? It's roads. Have you heard the, the, the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Yeah, many of their roads still exist to this day. And so suddenly there's these network of roads. They break out across all of these people. And so they can travel and they can, the world has shrunk and they can trade and they can do it because they speak one language. And so suddenly the world is kind of shrunk and there's this common government. It's this time of stability where people can move, they can communicate, they can travel and they speak the same language. Here's where this little piece of land gets interesting. It's only 10,000 square miles. But there's something true of that little strip of green. We pull up the map again. There's something true of this little strip of green that's not true of any other place of land on the globe. That is the one place that is the connection point of three major continents. 
And so <clears throat> you, would, you could travel by boat, but back then you, you, didn't, you didn't cross over the open seas because that would mean certain death. So the way that you would do it is you would have to bounce along that coastline that's in that circle area. So if you want to get anywhere, you're going to follow the shoreline. And you didn't travel to the right because of what we said earlier, that's a desert. People die out there. So if you want to move from west to east, you're journeying through that little area right there. And it's at this time. And it's at this place. And it's at this moment in history on this little piece of land that God has been very concerned to plant his people in. And God comes to a little teenage girl and says, you know, I know you've got plans for your wedding. I'm going to come and blow all that up. <laughs> because you're going to be pregnant even though you've never slept with anybody. And that's going to cause some difficulty in your life. But let me tell you, go ahead and name the child Emmanuel, which means God with us. And name him Jesus, the Lord saves, because as, as Galatians says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God orchestrates all of history for this moment. And Jesus never leaves that little area. He journeys among and does miracles like no one's ever seen. He speaks with authority people hadn't heard before. He had all this power Yet he's gentle with children and kind of, and, and he's kind and he's gracious to those who had broken every one of God's laws. He was the perfect man. And in the midst of that, about midway through his ministry, Luke tells us he turns and he sets his face towards Jerusalem. The prophet Ezekiel calls Jerusalem the center of the nations. Literally, he, in the original language, he calls it the belly button of the nations. <laughs> With countries all around her, God put his holy city, the city of peace, in the center of all the nations. And at the right moment, he sent the prince of peace into Jerusalem, the city of peace, to purchase our peace with his life. And so Paul told the Romans in Romans 5, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Is there a plan in God's purpose? Yes, there is. And he will move all of human history to accomplish it. <laughs> Why did Jesus come? Salvation. To rescue you and to rescue me. We see it in the scripture when Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That's who Jesus is. He came to save you and me, not to give you some kind of pump up speech, not to give you some moral philosophy, not to give you the opportunity to turn over a new leaf. Romans says at just the right time, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, we weren't just in this little kind of misadjusted you know, mess that we were. We were just a little bit ill, but we were dead and powerless according to scripture and in sin. And so Jesus took on all of our sins so we could be made right with God. Why did he come? For our salvation. Why this timing? For proclamation. 
<laughs> Did you notice what Simeon called it? He said, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, the ethnos, to the nations, and for glory to your people, Israel. Is there a logic to God's timing? <laughs> yes. Christ came for our salvation. He came when he did for its proclamation because if he's gonna come to bring all of himself to all of the world, you're gonna make sure that he gets the message to the whole world. So some of you remember the story of how I proposed to Deanna. We, we were actually both on, the, on a phone call with my mom when she kind of outright just kind of urged us to get married. And she said, you know, why don't you guys just stop burning in lust and get married already? You know, we were, we were, we had been dating for four years. A lot of it was long distance. And that was kind of her way, I guess, to kind of get the ball rolling. And uh, we decided to take her advice and start planning. But, but, but when we got off the phone, Deanna said to me, you know, you still got to propose to me and it better be good because you already know that I've, I've already agreed to this. And so talk about timing, right? You know, I had to figure out a way to surprise her and wow her and somehow, you know, still get a yes through all of this process, right? All within a pretty small timeline. So I called up a billboard company who, had, who, who, who has the biggest billboard in, you know, that I could find in downtown Dallas and I asked them how much and um, I saved up and I cleared the calendar and I, I planned a date night and we got on my motorcycle and we're heading right to that place and I hit the engine off button um, on the motorcycle as we're nearing the place, which made it kind of sound like the engine was dying. You know, it's like, oh no, what are we going to do? And then the motorcycle dies and we're, we're on, on the road there. It peters out. Something was wrong. And, you know, we got off the bike and we started walking through the trees, you know, and I could see the billboard as we're kind of walking and getting closer to the spot that I had planned for us to end up, you know, being stranded, right? And so eventually I just started watching Deanna to see, you know, when everything would line up and she would see what had kind of been carefully orchestrated and planned out ahead of time for her to come to this moment, right? And I got down on my knees when she saw it and I asked her the question. And so it felt like in that moment, like the whole city of Dallas was watching and smiling and pointing at that moment, you know, like, oh, there's the guy that did the billboard and here's the moment, you know, and there were some people that were kind of clapping and stuff and it was just this kind of beautiful moment in time. And so, you know, I, I had made the phone calls and arranged for the crew to paste up that billboard and get it up on the timeline set for just that moment to pop that question and it had to be just right, you know, for my girl. But think about this, God, he moved all of human history for you and for me. He moved all of human history and there's not a moment wasted. Why so much time in the Old Testament under the law to show us that when we try to be perfect, we can't. You know, read the, read the Old Testament. We just can't rise to our potential. And Paul told us, he said, yeah, the Old Testament is like a tutor. It's literally an old man that's meant to grab you by the hand and lead you to Jesus. <laughs> 
You even see that when they were in exile and their temple was destroyed. How do you worship when your temple is gone? Well, you know, they, what they did is they built little synagogues where you get back, back together and you look up in the word of God together. And that was the big plan in their mind when we have no temple, so we build all these synagogues. And so when Jesus shows up after and after Jesus dies, suddenly the entire known world, there are all these little synagogues dotting all over Rome. And so when Paul, who's probably in his 20s, he hears the message of Jesus and believes by the end of his life in the 60s, he had gone from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue that were scattered throughout the entire known world. And you see that by 60 AD, the gospel had gone from far west as Spain, as far east as India. When God moves history for salvation, he's gonna make sure that the message gets heard. I'll move all of history so that in less than half of a lifetime of a man, the gospel was spread farther than the Macedonian Empire empire and the Roman rule ever did. (laughs) And God moved all of human history so that 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. And in nations around the globe, people know God has come for you. He moved history for you. And he wants you. And this is love, not that you loved him, but that he loved us and he gave his life that we might be right with God. Why did he come for your salvation? Why the timing for proclamation? I want you to know, and I will move whatever I have to move for you to know it. Why the inconvenience? Why the donkey ride? Galatians 4 says it this way. I I love this. When the fullness of time had come, Isn't that such a, just a pregnant phrase right there? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He was gonna come just like you and me, born under the law with all the expectations of people are trying to be holy so that he might redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see that? He came to take on all that we have so he could redeem all of us. He took on all of it. So we can never look at a difficulty in our life and say, God, you don't understand me. (laughs) He does. He does understand because he's been there. And every inconvenience of the incarnation was for our redemption. Do you see that? Do you see that? Every single one. You look at his life, and this is what you can see. You can see that he was, he was tempted like Adam. He was homeless like Abraham. He wandered the desert like Moses. He suffered like those who are in exile. He was betrayed like King David. He was dropped in the depths for three days like Jonah. But when he was tempted, he resisted. And when he was homeless, his faith didn't waver. When he was forced to wander, he didn't complain. When he was betrayed, he didn't revile back. And when he suffered, he did not open his mouth. And when he was buried, he rose again. (laughs) He was poor because many of us were poor. Weak because we were weak. Betrayed because we know the sting of betrayal. He took it all on. He took on all of our story so he could take on all of us. Every convenience 
of his incarnation, of his coming to earth was for redemption. Do you see that? So how does this relate to you today in this season, in the now? His major priority for you is salvation. And I, and I don't know all of the particulars of your story, but I do know this. Proclamation matters to him. And I believe that God wants everybody to know him. So he will give you whatever he needs to give you and he will take from you whatever he must take to get your attention because he wants you. Paul said this, he was in the metropolitan city. He was looking at a group of diverse faces and he said, God has determined the exact time and the exact place that you live. I have put you in the neighborhood and I've put you in the time that you're in right now. If perhaps you might seek him and find him because he's not far from you. Some, some of us, you know, we've come to take over the world. That's, and that's our perspective. And that may or may not be working out for us. But God brought you here to bring heaven to you. That's why he brought you here. <laughs> that's why you're here. And he will give to you what he must give. And he will take what he must take to get your attention. Because more than you need anything else in this life, you need him. I love stepping back in my own life and just taking a look at the why behind the when. And many of you have heard, you know, my story, um, you know, many times. But, you know, when Deanna and I were wrapping up, our very first Vallapalooza event um, and the and youth ministry weekend in Pier. And God was doing some amazing things. Um, there is our first kind of ministry placement. I was placed as a youth pastor right out of Bible college and, and a mentor and a prophetic voice in my life, John Collins. He put his, his hand on my shoulder and he told me to get my resume ready. And internally, what I wanted to do when he did that in that moment because it felt like we were at this moment that we had arrived, that God was doing what everything that I had wanted you know, to happen was happening right here. And in that moment, he says, get your resume ready. I wanted to laugh internally. That's what I was doing. I felt like I'd finally gotten to the place where I'd been striving to get, that I had kind of arrived, you know, but, but, but I listened to God's nudge and we listened together and, and we got our resume ready. And that's what led us to getting hired right here at Destiny. That's what, that's what took us on this road right here. And, and, and after serving for nine years at Destiny, when Deanna started getting the nudge to continue her education, we packed up and we left here, our beloved you know, Destiny family, for the unknown. And I, I can still remember Pastor Brent you know, putting his hand on my shoulder at that time too and asking me, what, what, what are you going to do? And I can remember the answer that I gave him. I want to continue to do Next End Ministry and somehow at the same time stay at home with my newborn son, Zion. He was just, I mean, he was just weeks old at the time. A couple months later, I mean, this is against all odds. I received a phone call from Sam Rockwell, the Gateway District of Foursquare, which we had just moved out of. And he asked me to serve as the Next Gen District Rep for the Gateway District <laughs> in a time when I wasn't even living in that district. And guess what it was doing? It was working with Next Gen Ministry and God answered that prayer two months later, you know, and God opens the doors that no one else could have opened. And that was the answer to those two desires of my heart. I got to continue to do Next Gen Ministry and also stay at home with Zion. God moved us to Denver to serve at the North Rock Church there, one of the founding churches in our district. And when finances went south and they had to let me go, and I thought, you know, what's the plan now? You know, I thought you moved us here. Come on, God, this didn't, this doesn't, this wasn't in my timeline. This didn't seem to match up with, you know, your plans for me. 
Well, he took us to Bayfield. He took us to Bayfield, Colorado, which ended up being one of the biggest blessings in our lives. And I got to do two of the most fruitful years of ministry that I've ever experienced at kind of the last hurrah in youth ministry. And he blessed our family with so many deep and good friendships and set the framework for, for even for me for be, to, begin to, th- to begin to think in senior leadership for the first time, stepping into the associate pastor role down there in Bayfield. And when we received the invitation to come up here and take the baton, from pastors Brett and Tana. Uh, we had just finished wrapping up the adoption process for Darian and Lazarus, which was a miracle in and of itself. That particular tribe hadn't even processed adoption before, but the timing was perfect, exactly perfect for it all to happen. The doors opened what some people said. They told us when we started the whole process, they said it couldn't be done. God made a way when there didn't seem to be a way. So Darian and Lazarus are now part of our family. In fact, that happened legally the very day that we moved up here to step into this position. God will align the planets to make a way for you. And there are just all, these are just the things that my kind of finite mind can wrap itself around. And, and, you know, I don't know all the reasons that God puts me where he puts me, you know, where he puts me. And I don't know all the reasons why you are where you are, when, where you are right now. But I do know this. You are beautifully made in the image of God, every single one of you. And, and, and we are all broken because of sin and God in his mercy sent the seed of a woman to crush the serpent, sent the son of God to make us sons and daughters of God by his grace to live the perfect life that we could not so that we could be made whole. And he moved all of history so that you could be sitting here wherever you're sitting this morning and know that. <laughs> and so my hope for you is that you would know him in the fullness of all that you can know him. And when you do, even if you don't know all the particularities that you know his priorities and you can be like Simeon who looks at this and sees Jesus coming to the temple and all that I knew was I was gonna see him and when I see him, I have a peace and I can depart in peace and I've gotta be a part of what God is doing to declare his glory to the nations. I wanna be a part of that story. And it's interesting, you know, with Mary, we started out, you know, today kind of joking about her complaining about riding on a donkey. (laughs) But what's interesting is that she doesn't complain at all. She doesn't. That's not part of the story. When an angel comes to her, you know, her wedding plans, they're devastated. Her pregnancy, it's going to get weird, right? Um, Social outcast, yes, that's going to happen. That's pretty much a guarantee. Sex on your wedding night, that's not really in the picture anymore. You know, there's all kinds of stuff I'm about to complicate in your life. And this is how she responds in scripture. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. (laughs) And then... She starts talking about how God had remembered what he spoke to Abraham. In that moment, 
when she's thinking about her marriage and her pregnancy and all that stuff that's not gonna happen the way that she had planned it to go, her thoughts go to, you talked about this with Abraham and this is for the generations to come. So I'm on board and I wanna be a part of it and I get to be a part of the great story that God is writing. Yes, sign me up. Can you imagine if God came to you now and said, I want you to be a part of the one cause that races into eternity. You know, every other business and every other widget and every other purpose will fall to the floor except the purpose of God from now until forever. And I can use your life to be a part of it. Well, you know, who would say no? I think all of us would probably, you know, say yes to that. But then remember the rest of the story. Then if he's like, well, it might, invi- it might involve a donkey ride. <laughs> a couple days on a donkey. It, you know, are you still on board? Yeah. I'm still on board. It, it, it might involve having to sleep on some hay at some point to change history for all of eternity. Is that too much? Nope, not too much. It's worthy of my inconvenience. It's worthy of my life. He gave everything for me, so I'll give it all back. And I don't give it back as a martyr or as a victim. I give it all back with the thrill of hope. The thrill of hope. My God has moved all of history and he's writing his story. And I don't get to know all the specifics, but I get to know him. And he just might use me today in the life of my coworker, in the life of my family. And I don't know how he's moving all the pieces on the board, but I know that he is. And I know that his purpose is good. So I trust him. I trust him. I trust him that God has sent his son and that he is going to send me and I will go where he sends me and I will be blessed in the doing. And all the nations of the earth just might get blessed when a group of people say yes to God's purposes. Amen. Yes to his plans. Yes to the person of Jesus for his glory in our good. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Amen. Father God, your purposes and your plans are so much better than ours. <laughs> and God, when it can seem, when it can look like to us that we're in the midst of the mess and the chaos and we can't see your plan, and it just feels like we're going back and forth and back and forth, and it just seems like things aren't going our way. It just seems like, man, what is going on? Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to back up, Lord, and just get in tune with your purposes and your plans, and just be willing, no matter what the circumstance looks like, to just say, okay, yeah, I'm in. I'm all in your purposes and your plans for your glory. Because, you know, when I, when I do things my own way, it, it's, it has a purpose, but your purpose and your plan is so much better. So I wanna step into that this morning. So God, give us the grace and the wisdom and the scope to see your purposes and your plans. God, even in the midst of the crazy that is 2020, <laughs> God, we don't know what the future holds, but we know that you hold the future And so, God, we put our trust in you. Let's just say that this morning. I trust you. Can you say that with me this morning? I trust you. 
I trust you, your purpose and your plans. So I step into your purpose and your plans for my life this morning. God, we thank you for that. Now, with nobody looking around this morning, I want to give you the opportunity if you've never said yes to Jesus um, in your life. And we've got a lot of people watching and, and you know, um, with this message recorded, we might have people watching this several weeks from now. And here's the thing, God can, can move and speak right now into this right now moment when you're watching right now. And I believe that God moved and shaped and formed all of time for this moment for you to be listening right now. And this could be your right now moment. And so whether um, you're saying, uh, yes, I need Jesus in my life for the first time this morning, or maybe you're getting to a place where, you know, you've been in a place of brokenness and you've been in a place where you feel like you've been in the desert and you've been wandering and you've been going back and forth. And you're just coming to the place this morning where you're saying, Lord, God, I want to surrender my life again anew to your purposes and your plans because I know your purposes and your plans for me are good. If that's you this morning with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hands this morning? I just want to pray with with you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Okay. So whether you're online or with us on site this morning, I just want you to repeat these words after me. And these are, these are just words. There's nothing special about these words. I just want you to put the heart into it, all right? I'm going to give you the words, and, and we're just going to step into this prayer this morning. Father God, I give you my life. It's yours. I surrender all that I am. Thank you for your purposes and your plans. I lay my life down and my plans to go after yours. All that I am for you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your rescue. I hold on to you and all that you have for me. In your mighty name. I pray, amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate this morning. Thank you, Jesus. His purposes and his plans for us are always so much better. Amen, amen.